Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter. So the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's Podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Week two with the new branding, and I haven't messed up yet. Still adjusting to 2023, however, and still excited about the fact that this is season four of this podcast. My guest today has an interesting concept of our DNA. We all know about our physical DNA. I got my dark hair and eyes from my dad, my developing jowls from all the women on my mother's side. And as I get closer to 70, I've had lots of successes and my fair share of bailouts. While it's relatively easy to trace my physical characteristics, is there any chance that I've inherited emotional DNA from my forebears as well? Could my successes and bailouts and other personality traits be traced to a family history that created patterns that I pretty much slid into and perpetuated? My guest today will help us figure that out. Judy Wilkins-Smith, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thank you, Agnes. It's lovely to be with you. Now, you're going to do most of the talking today, as while this concept isn't completely new to me, I'm not going to claim much knowledge on the subject. Could we start, though, by having you tell us about Judy Wilkins-Smith and how she came to to the subject of limiting patterns? Kind of really, really strange way. Um, I was busy. My father got killed and it was either I go crazy or write books. And I figured writing books was probably the better solution. So uh, I was busy doing research for one of the books and, and this concept popped up and I got a hold of the person who was teaching it at the time and said, can you help me with the book? And they said, come and study my work and I'll help you with the book. So I went and studied the work and got zero help with the book, just saying. But um, that led me into systemic coaching, executive coaching. And then along with that, that that moved from working with individuals to companies saying, well, do companies have DNA? Yes, they do. Yes, companies have DNA. So I went into company um, coaching as well. And so went into systemic executive coaching. And then began doing a number of events around the world, teaching this. And because so many people just wanted to have their own shift, their own transformation, and they could see the difference it was making. And so that morphed into events. And I now have events all over the world. And 
every year at least one of those events is at Disney World. I've just finished the one at Disney World. And, uh, yeah, I teach people what the work is about, how to do it, how to bring it into their daily lives, and the changes are pretty remarkable. Okay, well, let's jump right in. Um, what is emotional DNA? So emotional DNA is what I call your patterns of thoughts, feelings, actions, um, mindsets, and a lot of those are inherited, as you said, from your forebears. Your thoughts around money, relationships, leadership, uh, being a good worker, work ethics, anything you could basically health, anything you can think of, didn't just come to us in a vacuum. We didn't one day go, aha, this is who I am in this particular field. We listened to people around us. We also, epigenetically, if there were significant events, had some of those receptors turned off and on. And so we inherited those patterns of thoughts, feelings, actions, etc. That's what I call your emotional DNA. And the beauty of emotional DNA is that it is super strong. Your, you have an event, it creates a reaction. The reaction creates language, thoughts, feelings, and then you call that the truth. But it's not the truth. It's just your truth. And you can change that anytime you want to. And when you do, of course, you're now no longer living or reliving ancient history. You're now perfectly present and your future is no longer the inevitable future it would have been. Now you have something different. Okay, so I, I guess when I first heard about this, the example that was given to me was, for example, the Irish potato famine, where, exactly. or and in, in many times in history, there's been devastation and like such lack and people needing just even the basics, right? Generation after generation. Is that where that comes from? Some of those feelings, or perhaps people that have been, you know, like they're, they're in the courts and like in courts as in Kings and Queens. So they have this feeling of uh, they have everything. Well, they do because that's what they're told. Not so. And if I have everything, well, then of course, yes, I have everything. That's my truth until I challenge it or look. Um, the potato famine, yes, the great Dutch hunger winter is one that's very well studied. Um, there was a, a town in the Netherlands that was completely encircled by the Nazis and they were deprived of food and water for three months. And they were then, they studied this, this group and the women who'd been pregnant showed signs of, of, of course, of eating disorders, but so did their children, but then so did their children's children. And, those children's children. And so they began to realize that, hold on a minute, we're activating markers on our, our genes, those receptors. When something has a severe impact or a significant impact on the system, it creates an imprint that becomes the blueprint for generations of successive behaviors, reactions, languages, um, wellnesses, lack. So that becomes a mindset. You will see or hear people who say, well, there's no money in our family. We lose it all. Your best question to ask is, when did that start? What was happening at the time? What did we say about that? What did we think about that? What did we feel about that? What actions did we take? How have those echoed down through the generations? And what are they asking to become if we look at it differently? Because one of the things that we know is that no matter what religion you were raised in, we've been brought brought up to, to think that we are sufferers, we're not smart, we're sinners, we're hopeless, and nothing could be further from the truth. But we've got ourselves trapped 
in the systemic and limiting systemic sentences of those who came before us. When we start to change that, we see the flip side of that, which is, oh my goodness, look what's possible. I am possible. Things like money, where, where nobody in our family has money, suddenly we have one who goes, well, yeah, that's not working for me. I think I would like to have some. And they make that choice and don't realize what a significant choice it is. But now they've just turned the emotional DNA or money DNA. And, and so you will also see a child who watches its mother and says, I'm never going to work as hard as my mother has had to. I will get an education. So what you're saying in essence is for you who couldn't, I will. And the minute we start to do that, we start to change the emotional DNA. And we start to move from suffering to, to triumph and to transformation. And that's the power of this work is being super conscious of what we're doing, thinking, feeling. And then instead of thinking I'm in the middle of a train smash going, okay, this is interesting. What can I do with this? It's a very different approach. You actually just answered one of my, or my next question because we started by talking about food and I was going to ask if we could actually break it by recognizing something like a, a pattern by recognizing I grew up with parents who said you eat everything on your plate and That's you're not leaving right. the table. And actually I more than once had leftover supper for breakfast as a child because mm -hmm. it would be sitting at the table still. And obviously when I had children, it was like, that is never going to happen at my house. There you so, go. And okay. you started to change it. Yes. Food is a very, very interesting one as well, especially systemically. And especially when we look at something like anorexia or bulimia or obesity. obesity what happens very often is you should have a limitless supply of emotional food and a limited supply of physical food. But when we can't get the limitless supply of emotional food that we need, we confuse our foods. So what we can't take in through our souls, we now begin to take in through our mouths. And so it, you can often see here's, here's an eating disorder that's originated in an inability to emotionally regulate. Okay, so many of us do genealogy. You know, we start looking at parents, grandparents, yes. greats, greats, greats. Can we do that sort of research? Um, and like, yes. how, how do we do that sort of research? So, so two things. One, of course, is your genealogy. I, we're working at the moment very much to, to kind of align with genealogy and, and kind of say to them, hey, look what we've got. Because genealogy 1.0 is here's where you belong. But genealogy 2.0 is here's what happened and how it matters to where you belong. This is why you struggle with money or relationships or leadership. So the ways to do that, of course, are to go into your genealogy and understand the significant events that were around or happening at the time. Not all of us have that luxury. Not all of us can find that. If you can't find yours, you timeline your own life. If you timeline your own life, you're going to start seeing the patterns and they came from somewhere. So what you want to also do to find them, though, is to look at the places where you are incredibly passionate about something, incredibly obstinate or dogmatic about something, very angry, sad. In other words, those inflated feelings, whether they're good or bad, and ask yourself, what do I think about this subject? And write down everything that you think then everything that you feel and all the actions that you take. 
and then sit for a moment and go, so how would I like this to be? Because there is always the other potential. And if you could feel a strong tug that says, oh, my goodness, imagine if I had enough money that I didn't even have to think about bills at the end of the month, what would that be like? Now your brain goes, oh, quickly, everybody, on alert, she's awake. Let's just work with her right now while she's thinking. Uh-huh. So instead of being in reactive brain, you switch to creative brain. And when you see, when your heart opens, so it's the heart that opens first and goes, I wonder what if. Then that switches to creative brain, and you'll notice that the gut then switches from being really tight to, oh, this is fun, this is exciting. And when those three are together and they're aligned, you achieve a state of coherence. And in that state of coherence, all things are possible. And that's where another piece of of the magic of this work comes in. If you think about it, every single day you are a magician. You're telling yourself, you stupid person, how could you do that? I'm so annoyed with you. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm miserable. And your body is reacting and you live by by the biology of stress, those stress hormones. There is another way. Oh, my goodness, Agnes, do you see what you did today? This is your fourth year. This is your fourth year in a podcast. This is amazing. I can do this. If I could do this, I wonder what else I could do. Now, instead of your body cringing, You've got goosebumps and you're expanding. The same thing has happened in both both places. Your brain has told your body a story that your body can believe. And when your body says yes, that's your new truth and it will become so. I think the best example of that that just came to me as you were talking is someone who said, my goal is to read a menu from the left-hand side of the page. My goodness. And, yeah. You know, because how many times, especially if we're being taken out, you run down, look at the prices first. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, that's great. Now, in the intro that your publicist sent me, it said neuroscience and epigenetics show there are many other kinds of patterns we inherit, deeply unconscious, yet faithfully repeated patterns of thoughts, feelings and behaviors, otherwise known as emotional DNA. Every aspect of our lives, our relationships, finances, success, and even health are all subjects to these patterns. What's the scientific evidence of emotion? So the epigenetic piece is the piece I just spoke to you about with the great Dutch hunger winter. Okay. And, and then, of course, they also did studies, similar studies on 9-11 mothers. In other words, women who'd been pregnant at the time that 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And what they found was they had elevated markers for PTSD. And then they looked at the children, and the children also have them. So this is an ongoing, there are many studies at the moment, but ongoing set of studies where they track to see how many generations this happens. And here's the deal. It's not that it's set in stone that it will be three generations or four generations. It literally depends on the individual's willingness to make a choice differently, period. The minute you make a choice differently, everything changes. Now you're observing a new pattern into a reality and everything can no longer be the same. It just can't. You've changed it. And it's literally one new thought, one new feeling, sorry, one new action at a time. So what you're doing is neuroscientifically, you're literally rewiring your brain. And we know the brain is capable of doing that. So you can have had terrible things happen to you as a kid. And you look at that and go, great example, my favorite example, may I say, 
<laughs> Walt Disney. Walt Disney goes and stands in the middle of Marceline, Missouri, one one horse town, Marceline, Missouri, and it's dreary and it's not got anything going. And what does he do? He turns it into Main Street, USA, in the middle of Disney World. He made a choice. Amazing, yeah. So let's go to systemic work. I saw that sure. phrase. Systemic work. So what is that? That is the study of you within a system. You didn't happen in a vacuum. Who you are as a podcast person, who you are as a leader, didn't come from nowhere. It's usually in reaction to or collusion with the family system. The family system is your primary pattern maker. You And, and people say, no, 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 that's not possible. My family are all introverts. I'm not. And I go, well, you still have your family to thank for that. How? Well, what did you decide? I decided I would be different. Why? Because they were introverts. You have your family to thank for it. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Okay. That's an interesting take on that because so often we think about, you know, like being stuck. And, and, and we blame, of course. We, we, we oh, like to yes, blame the bad habits. <laughs> yep. You see, it was my mother's fault. She did it. Really? And how long are you going to carry that one? Is it working for you? And what do you want to do with it? Because you have choice. And all my successes, though, were all my doing. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Mom had nothing to do with that. Yes, she did. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's great. Okay, so talk to us about constellations and why they're, why they're effective, but also what are do-it-yourself constellations. Okay, so constellations are super effective because they use multiple senses. So you're using uh, vision, hearing, touch, um, sometimes even taste and smell. It depends. But... What you do is we take an issue. Now, if I'm at a live event, so I'm going to explain it as though we're at a live event. I would have somebody come and sit next to me and say, I want to work on, let's take money. I want to work on money. We really struggle with money in our family. In fact, I have a really good story about that. But we struggle with money in our family, and I want to understand why and how to shift it. So we'll talk a little bit, and I might say, okay. Pick a representative for your mother, your father, your siblings, and you. And so they'll pick representatives from the audience. And I say to them, I want you to place them for me the way that it feels for you when you talk about money. And they'll give me that spatial relationship. So not, not sculpting. I simply want them to be placed. Because this was the breakthrough work that Hellinger did, not sculpting. What he discovered was we're very capable of sensing into our systems and other systems. And so we will begin to move and we will begin to react as things are happening. So they place them and I begin to ask questions like, so why is dad looking off in the distance? Well, he never really came back from the war. And mom, she's kind of in the middle of everything. Yeah, she's the breadwinner. and she. So you start to hear what the patterns are. And as you hear the patterns and they begin to look at things, they go, you'll hear them say, oh, Wait a bit, so that my mother did that, that's why I'm doing this, that makes sense. Or, oh, I have another brother who's really distant. It's like he's always over there somewhere with dad. Well, if dad never came back, one of the kids may be identifying with that and may be aligned with dad who's distant. And, okay, so dad was never much good with money, so to whom are you loyal, mom or dad? Which one? And as they start to see it and hear it and feel it, and or else maybe everybody struggled. Nobody had money. What about you? Well, I squirrel some away every now and then. Okay, so you're starting to change the emotional DNA. 
yeah, but you know, my poor family. Uh-uh, no. If you start to change this, who would benefit? Well, my fat exactly. So it's really okay for you to turn around and do a pattern differently. All you're doing is expanding the system. So now as we're talking and the representatives may be moving, they start to see these patterns unfolding in front of them. It's no longer just locked in their brain. They're seeing it. And sometimes I'll place them in the constellation and say, so what does it feel like to stand over there with everybody who has not? I can't do it. So where do you want to be? Now they have a felt sense of where they're moving to. So all of this means that they're also beginning to rewire their thoughts, feelings, actions, permissions, allowances, and that's rewiring the brain, but it's also rewiring the body. And so very often people will say to me the next day, I had quite a night. I couldn't think the same. My body was jumpy. Um, what's going on? And I'd, I'd say to them, just be with it for a little bit. Start noticing the new sentences and the new thoughts and feelings. You may even feel a little sad because the old pattern is is going and the new one's coming in. Thank the old pattern for having helped you to get this far. And they will say to me, you know, I've been working on this for 20 years. How did I resolve it in an hour and a half? Because you got to the stage where you were either sick and tired of being sick and tired or your head, your heart, and your gut went, yes. And the minute you you locked yourself into that, you pulled yourself past all of the old excuses for being stuck. And you knew it and your body knew it and off you went. So it's it's pretty dynamic. I use it a lot in company, businesses and companies when they want to have a look at, uh, and explore an issue or perhaps product placement or flow of the company. They find that when we can do this live, they can actually test and they can see why they're not getting the results they need to or what they need to do to be able to get those results. So it's a highly effective way of speeding up what could take many, many years simply because we're engaging multiple senses and we're allowing new thoughts and feelings and actions in. Is there any need to sort of say, okay, I see where this has come from. Mm -hmm. It's not serving me. Dad, grandpa, maybe even great grandpa, didn't know him very well, but from what I've heard, yeah, it's, it's his fault too. Thank you all for bringing me to this place where I have now had this realization. Thank you and goodbye. Like, to that, it's not ever thank you and goodbye. You you were oh. almost all the way there. Oh, no. Brilliantly put. <laughs> so it's actually thank you. Because of this, I can do it differently. Watch me as I do it differently. That way, systems don't like it when you exclude. If you exclude oh. anyone or anything, it starts to bubble up. That's why you will hear people say, you're just like your Auntie Sally. You're exactly like Uncle Harold. Because those two may have been excluded and the systems don't allow it. They literally will start to repeat it through the generations. That's why you get the limiting patterns. They're going, excuse me, something's been excluded. Something's unresolved. We need to do something here. This pattern doesn't work anymore. This one's trying to start. So first of all, you've got to say thank you to the old pattern and give it its place. And then your heart to the new pattern. Now, the old pattern can serve as a source of wisdom, and the new pattern can serve as your wings. So now you have roots and wings. 
I was so close. You were done. <laughs> when I, I mean, edit, I'm, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> when I edit it, maybe now I'm just joking. There you go. <laughs> edit it out and make it just smooth. That's right. What are meta patterns? Meta patterns are things like pandemics, wars. Uh, those are meta events, actually. Pandemics, wars, plagues, whatever, whatever you want to call them, the real big ones. And the meta patterns that result from those, things like the Great Depression, are you'll get hoarders. You'll get people with PTSD, families with PTSD. In pandemics, you'll get people becoming asocial or super social, depending on, on the effect it's had. So it's it's the patterns that uh, arise from the large events. And, and you look at your large events to see how has this affected me? If we've had the pogroms, how did that affect my family? And how does that affect me? The Holocaust, how did that affect people still? And it does. It affects Germans. It affects non-Germans. It affects many of us. How? What has that been? And how do we want to change it? You've just really explained a, a few people that I know. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Now, how many neuroscientists are jumping into or have jumped into high gear as we've been coming up three years of a pandemic? To, to- I wonder, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but it would be fascinating to watch because neuroscientifically, we, you know, that there are so many patterns that we instantly wired in. In fact, I just taught a capability and resilience at Disney World because so many of us had to do things very differently, but we've never stopped and said to ourselves, hey, self, look at all the new capabilities you wired in. No, no. Because of the way we're brought up, we go, well, I suffered and I struggled, but I got there. Oh, my goodness. Come on, people. You didn't suffer and struggle. You rewired your brain. How incredible is that? You got to somewhere new. And so I'm hoping that they, they are studying it. But I certainly can already see it in systemic work and constellations. You begin to notice changes in. I had one person who said to me, I had to, I am exhausted. And I said, what happened? I was in person at the office today and I went, okay. And they said, you don't understand. I'm used to reacting to cues from the shoulders up. I got in and there's this whole body there. Now I've got to react to cues from the whole body. And I said to him, you know, I never thought about that, but this is accurate. And so we've, we've adjusted in certain ways and rewired, but we've also become very capable in some ways that we have not. Where does it come in that I listen to talk radio, for example, and just staying on the subject of the pandemic for a moment, is you will hear all the stories about businesses that closed, you know, people who lost their jobs, who struggled. And then every once in a while, you'll hear somebody that said, you know, actually, yep. my business flourished. But they, but they almost sound apologetic. Where does that apologetic part fit? Oh, it fits perfectly. Think about people with money. How many of them apologize? We strive, strive, strive to make it either financially or successfully. We work really hard. And when we get there, everybody else is going, oh, really? And who do you think you are? And that's what happens to us. Instead of them turning around and saying, I can help you or I can show you, we apologize in order to belong. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not very smart. 
What we should be doing is we should be thriving and teaching others how to belong in a world of thriving. But apologizing to keeps us beautifully in place and says, I'm also small. Okay. When I was reading your decoding the emotional, your emotional blueprint, I was really stuck by the power of the brain, which struck is the word I wanted. I was really yep. struck by the power of the brain, which I think we can all agree upon. The unsung strengths to a large extent of our heart and our gut, because we often dispense with those. Yep. Here's the thing. And here's the way to look at it. If you think about the, the times that you're stuck, what happens for you is very often you get irritated or scared or upset. And what happens when you do that? The heart shuts down. It closes. It's not that we have a closed mind. It's that we have a closed heart. The heart gets a fright and it goes, oh, survival, stop. And so it, it can't be open and it's, it's not happy. With that, the stomach cringes, and, the, and we know this because where people with stress have gut issues. So now the stomach's going, careful, 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 watch out, watch out, watch out. And the brain goes, oh, everybody into survival. So it switches into survival. It's when we very consciously go, stop. What can I find in this particular moment that is useful to me, kind to me, and perhaps even gentle to me? Can I find one second of possibility? What's possible now? And when we ask ourselves what's possible now, suddenly the heart goes, oh, there's a bit of hope, and it opens up a little bit. And the gut goes, okay, okay, let's adjust just a teeny bit, let's see. And the brain goes, Quick, quick, she's awake. Let's see what we can do now. And it goes from survival into creative. And if you can keep yourself there, you will never be stuck. You will literally never be stuck. May not always feel good to begin with, but the heart is very much an unsung. We just think that's a nice thing that these woo-woo people do. No, the heart literally, if, if you allow it that space to open and it's the space of possibility, it then tells the gut, which, by the way, is a really good inner compass. Okay, we're, we're all a go here. All systems go. And the brain can switch on and be of service. And so people will say to me, that's all very well. What do you do in times of crisis? Well, it depends. If you literally have a, a coyote snapping at your backside, it's not time for that. It's just called get out the way. But... If you're in a situation that's tricky and it feels difficult and impossible, the one thing you want to do is sit down and realize what I choose right now is about to become my new truth. What do I want that to be? What is intuition? What You know what? What is intuition? Intuition is listening to the gut, that which, by the way, is a multi-generational brain. It's also listening to the multi-generational nervous system because you don't just have a nervous system. You have a multi-generational nervous system too. And it's being willing to listen to something other than a disaster. It goes back to what's possible here. And when you start to do that, you will always find a thread. It doesn't matter how small it is. You will find a thread. And if you follow the thread and you keep investing in it, you will find your way forward. What haven't I asked you? 
What haven't you asked me? Let me think. What are systemic sentences? Okay, what are systemic sentences? They, they are what tell you exactly why your life is the way that it is. Think about relationships. Oh, well, we know those suck in our family. The women lose all the men. They just never hang around. Well, if you're sitting with that, what do you expect? Or people who come to me and they say, I want to work with you because I want to be richer than I am now, which, by the way, is a real trap for me. I love it. But, and I say to them, okay, so talk to me about money. And they go, well, you know, you have to lie, cheat, and steal, and they're, they're greedy, and people who have it aren't, aren't kind. And I go, oh, so you want to become a liar, a cheat, and a, a thief? Well, no, but you've just told me that. Oh, so what do I tell myself about things? Systemic sentences pop up everywhere. They pop up in family sayings. They pop up in the way things must be. They pop up in cultures. You look at anything that runs your life when you're about to go and have, uh, you're about to go and have a Starbucks. And what do you do? You open your wallet and you go, now, you know, dear, if you save that, you could, and now then you've got to ask yourself, okay, who's speaking right now? Is this me, my mother, or my grandmother? Can I have that Starbucks, or are they telling me I can't have that Starbucks? Because you know, what, what's that thing? Um, what's it, a taste? A bite on the lips is a pound on the hips, or whatever that thing is, that saying? Yeah, let's not do that. Or, or the client that I, I spoke about recently who said to me, I hate Thanksgiving. And I said, okay, it's supposed to be a time of joy. I hate it. We just go through the motions. Everybody's miserable. We eat a dinner. We sit around. We're still miserable. We go home. Everybody's sad. And I said to him, couldn't you make it happy? No, it doesn't happen in our family. Well, why doesn't it happen in your family? I don't know. Go and ask your mom and dad what happened with their parents. Turns out dad's, dad's mom. Yeah, so dad's, dad's mom. Um, dropped dead on Thanksgiving Day, right in the middle of all the festivities. That's going to put a bit of a damper on things, I, I'm guessing. And so from then on in, they would sort of do Thanksgiving, but, I mean, it was awful. And he said, so what do I do with that? He said, it's come all the way to you because it's saying to you, fun, love, and enjoyment was cut off then, and it's asking you, can you bring that back? Can you be the joy, the fun, and the laughter that's been missing? And he just burst into tears and he said, I can breathe. Now I can go and have Thanksgiving. But this is what we do. We take incomplete patterns and we carry them as burdens through systemic sentences. And they're with the oddest things. What was I used to always say? Uh, when I went to when I went to, to go and eat. Okay, if I don't have enough money, can I wash the dishes? Until one day I thought, no, this is ridiculous. I mean, everybody would laugh. It was a big joke. And I had the money. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Where does this come from? I didn't know. But it turns out when my mother and father got engaged, my father left his wallet at home. And he'd taken her out for dinner. And he said to the guy, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. Can I go and get it? Or do you want me to wash the dishes? Now, I had no way of knowing that. And it hadn't been told but it circulates through. 
And so I'd picked up on this pattern. I was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that anymore. Thank you very much. Interesting. Now, we talk about where we are in this place and time and how our parents or our siblings, our grandparents, our greats. But here in this place and time, I have institutions over here. I've got like maybe a church or Mm -hmm. over here I've got societies that I belong to. I've got... Yes, more systems, right? And they're all sort of poking at me or or else narrowing my my field of vision, whatever. How do we deal with all that? They're beautiful. What they are, they are all of your other systems and, and they're elegant because what you won't complete in one system will show up in the next system and the next system and the next system until you resolve it. All of those systems are in service of you and all of those systems are in service of evolution. A system's deepest need is to survive. Its highest desire is to thrive. Most of us are locked into the need for survival and the system's going, will you please just do something? We could do so well here if you just go into thriving but we've been conditioned to survive. And so the real movement at the moment is to try and thrive. If you look, I'll give you clear examples of that. If you look at the world at the moment, we have monetized, glamorized, sanitized victim victimhood. We've made it really an amazing thing. If you're a victim, you're in the pound seats. Okay, not so much. Because guess what? At some point, you're going to burn out And you're going to realize you didn't make too much progress. And if you do make progress at the cost of someone else, well done. You've just become the new perpetrator. And now all we have is new perpetrators and victims. So it's a question of looking and it's a question of learning. And then it's a question of choice. If you come from an ancestry where you were a victim, do you want to continue to be a victim? Or are you going to start thinking things through a little differently? If you come from a lineage where there were perpetrators, do you want to carry that guilt and burden? Or are you going to be someone who champions the underdog? Someone who really goes out and makes a difference in a very kind and amazing way? Your choice. But one of the biggest sleeps in humanity is thinking that victimhood is glamorous. It is not. Interestingly, I just recently saw somebody, I was looking at their website or something, and they don't use the word victim. They have flicked the switch and they call it survivor. Even Yes, and survivor is a step. It's a step. Yeah. It's still not going all the way. It says, I survived something. It's not saying, I was given a gift. It felt a little rough and bumpy, but look what I got. People say to me all the time, if your father was was killed, where on earth is the gift in that? It was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. And he gave me a final gift. When he left, it was because the, the whole family was new to the country. It was either you get up and do something or you can, the whole family will be in trouble. That was a gift. Yes, it was a terrible thing that happened, and yes, there was a gift. 
And no, I'm not a survivor. I'm very much not a survivor. I am a grateful grower. I'm not a survivor. Love that. Thank you. Okay, you have written books. I have. I've written some fiction ones, but but the one that you're talking about is Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint. And that's the one that tells you all about how to do constellations the way I describe them, how to do them yourself. It explains lineage. It explains neuroscience and epigenetics. But it's a really down-to-earth explanation of systemic work and constellations that shows you that this work, which has been held for a long time as a changer, is not just a changer. It is a transformation agent, and it is extremely powerful. And it belongs to everybody. There's nobody who can't do it. Nobody. All you've got to do is be willing to look. So there's that. And then people said to me, I can't always get to one of your live events, but I want to understand what a constellation might be like. And so I got together with a Grammy Award winning producer and composer. His name is Barry Goldstein. He's great. And we created the meditation of the mother and the meditation of the father. And that takes you through a constellation with a mother all the way into her line and back. And the same with the father. And those ones are are on my website. And then, of course, the live events. I do two different kinds of live events. So public is welcome to any of those. And there are people who come and they say, I want to learn to do this work as a coach as a therapist, as whatever it is, and they take it into their own practice. And so I also uh, train people to be able to facilitate this work. And that happens around the country. This year it will be mostly in Dallas with one at Disney World later on this year. But the, the kickoff ones will be in Dallas in February. You do coaching. Do you ever coach like one-on-one with people or is it mostly corporate no I well it's no it's it's a combination I do one-on-one with people absolutely most of my corporate clients are um, c-suite or senior suite at least and those are one-on-one and then I go in and do teamwork so I work with intact teams and and we teach them the work and they take it into the workplace and things start to move that's great where do we find you on the World Wide Web? Yes, you find me at judywilkins-smith.com. You'll also find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Oh, and if you want to hear me, you'll find me a whole lot on Spotify and YouTube. As in you have your own podcast? No, I don't. It's just that I've, there have been a number of, of uh, podcasts done and Somebody said to me the other day, my goodness, you're all over Spotify. I can hear you whenever I want to. Well, that's lovely. Well, and now you're going to be on Spotify one more time. So that's great. And I love that. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, uh, as you know, the links are always in the show notes on the podcast platforms. And uh, at the bottom of the page, if you're on the website, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's Podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews wherever you can. They help us grow. For early access of upcoming episodes, there's a sign up under this conversation if you're on our website. 
share this episode with some friends. It'll explain a lot to so many people. And this research could be way more interesting than mainstream genealogy. Judy Wilkins-Smith, thank you, thank you so much for being my guest today and giving us so much food for thought. It's such a great start to the new year. Agnes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, you know, we're getting around to the time of the year when it's a festive season. And maybe for once this year, instead of looking at our families and wanting to head for the hills, we may actually find that we want to thank them. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Take care. You too.